0: Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon.
1: Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, where it's getting just a little bit warm now. And I'm delighted to welcome all of you who are able to hear us live and those who are listening later to a download. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Um, Go to the Self-Improvement blog so you can see our guest picture and read a little bit about her you're going to really want to know who she is. She's right here in the same town with me, and so you know it's kind of going to be a conversation between us girls. Have you ever wondered why some kids who seem to have the deck stacked against them thrive and become successful in everything they do? And yet some kids who seem to have everything just never get their act together? Some get bogged down no matter what they're coming from, where they're coming from. They get bogged down in the drug scene or an undesirable lifestyle of some sort and later emerge to become highly successful counselors or teachers or spiritual leaders or business people. If you look back at your own life with hindsight, do you see how everything worked together to get you where you are right now? The good, the bad, the happy, the not so happy, the obstacles, the challenges. If you're on a spiritual path, would you have progressed had you not had these things? Looking back, can you begin to get an idea of how your life unfolded to bring you to the place you are now? Today we're going to talk about unfolding the mystery of self, and we have Lynn Cochran Murphy with us to do that. Lynn is an intuitive consultant specializing in helping people move forward on their spiritual path. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Nevada, master's degree from the University of Oregon, and her doctorate from Arizona State University. She's a certified Theta Healer and Instructor, a certified Access Consciousness Bar's Healer and Instructor, a channel a licensed substance abuse counselor since 2003, an adjunct university professor, meditation instructor, and a best-selling author. And I only have to wonder what she does in her spare time. She recently released her third book, Unfolding the Mystery of Self, We Are Never Alone, already an Amazon number one bestseller. She has been with us before, and I am Honored to welcome back Lynn Cochran Murphy to the Self Improvement Show. Lynn, welcome. Glad to have you back. Hi, Irene. Thanks so much for having me back, and thanks for the nice introduction. Oh well, you are so you are so credentialed. I want to give you every little bit of credit because you certainly have earned it. Tell us about yourself. Here's the dreaded question. Tell us about yourself. Who is Lynn <laughs> Cochran Murphy? Um. You know, I think
2: it's interesting that we live in the same town and we've never met. But and I appreciate you having me on the show twice. It's really nice to be able to to connect and to talk about the book. So at this point, I'm an author. This is um, actually my third book. They're all on Amazon. This one is "Unfolding the Mystery of Self: We're Never Alone." Um, I've been in Nevada, or sorry, I've been in Arizona for I think 25 years now. Um, We came here from Oregon. Prior to that, I was in Nevada, and I'm from Northern California. I've taught school. I taught special education um, students with learning disabilities for 30 years and retired. And now I get to do um, my spiritual work as my life, which is really a very sweet treat. So I um, teach classes in healing work. Um, I combine my counseling skills in with my one-on-one sessions with clients. So that's that's where I'm at today, and um, we'll see where you want to take the questions from here. I won't I won't say too
1: much. <laughs> okay, you have a very compelling story, and I think um, our listeners would love to hear how you got from where you started to where you are now. So, you know, tell us your story, you know, from, from the, I guess, the time you remember. Okay. Um, so, the first book that I wrote, Living
2: Hope, is a lot about that As is the dissertation, which I wrote, which was then published and is on Amazon, Um, I wrote those two things in part, especially the dissertation, to understand myself and how it was that I had done well where where I came from was trauma and abuse and really difficult. So when I was two and a half, our house burned down. And um, everyone in the house died but me. And I lived in the hospital for a while. I don't know much about that time. I have some memories, and I talk about them in the new book, in Unfolding the Mystery, talk about the angels that visited me there. Then um, I went home, and I had a mother still. I still had my mom, but my dad was gone. My sisters were gone. And life was really strange and that's when I f- remember some of my first, um, well, my psychic um, experiences, that first one at two and a half, and then one um, uh, when I was four. My mother remarried. He um, he was good to me, but he was abusive to her, verbally abusive to her, emotionally abusive. We... Um, He died then in a logging accident when I was nine. And I had a lot of family around me. I had a grandmother who was a very important figure, my paternal grandmother. And that's an important thing because in the research that I did, part of my dissertation, to understand how did I get here and, and who am I. Um, that grandmother had a lot to do with why I became successful. Her, her stability, her love, that unconditional love, what that does for oh. us. Then um, at 10, my mother remarried, and she married a, a man who was an, um, an alcoholic and uh, verbally, physically, emotionally abusive, So we moved to Nevada at that point. Became a little isolated from the family. Life went on. I went. <laughs> I went on to high school. I got married really young. Talk a little bit about that in the books. Got divorced really young.
1: Yeah, you. And, as I understand it, you got married so you could get out of the house. Is that? Yeah. Is that, am I remembering yeah. that right?
2: I remember being grateful <laughs> to
1: that young man that he asked me to
2: marry him. So I, I'd been asked. But this one was like, oh, this, this could be for real. And it gets me out of my parents' house. It gets me out, away from those, those fights, the arguments. And the only downside is I wouldn't be there to protect my sister anymore. But she was, she was I think, 12 by then. Um, so I look back on that marriage as a great, a great thing, although at the time I certainly didn't see it that way. I went on to um, start college in Reno, and uh, did my bachelor's there. And right, right after that, I moved to Oregon, and I got my first teaching position. And my parents bought a bar in Reno at that time, a tavern. And it was robbed. My mother was shot and killed. My stepfather was shot, lived in the hospital for a while. And that was like the, the end of that whole messy, heavy karma part of my life. And there's, there's more, there's more abuse and stuff like that. And that's in the book. But it's really interesting how that was that, was that and it was done. And then I kind of reached a turning point in my life. What are you going to do? Are you going to go with this wild and crazy path that you started on? Or are you going to get it together and continue? Because one way I was told I wouldn't live very long, and the other way um, I was told I would. It seems so like think, an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't. The person who told me that didn't tell me a lot about it, but just that I had a I had a choice, and it w- it would matter what I did. So, um, and I was on a fairly destructive path at that time, so at least I got that point out of it. Yeah, destructive path leads to end of life. So what I haven't mentioned yet is what was an undercurrent, and one was that I believed that some people have a better life than me. Why do they get that and I don't? Let's figure that out. My family didn't have my answers. They sent me to church. And I went to a lot of church Mm -hmm. Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic. I went to a lot of different churches with different family members. And um, I went through the born-again experience in my early teens. And I knew that there were answers. Some people had them, and I wanted them. So I started searching. I studied psychology really young. I um, became a Buddhist at age 17. And studied with them. And the important part about that is I started getting my answers. Wow. There were other explanations as to why things are the way they are.
1: Than that what was I mean. kind of brave of you to go searching oh, at that age. I think I like to have sometimes... some kind of faith that there, you know,
2: it's got to be okay. There's got to be an answer. And I think partly because I was taught there is a something greater than you are. Look for it. And if I could find it. It would make me happy, um, and that's, a lot of that's in the new book about looking for God outside yourself and yes. how um, the, <laughs> there's no one there. <laughs>
1: there's no one there.
2: And I, that, then I switch it around to looking, looking within and what you find there. So fortunately, I had the attributes and the belief that it could be better. And so I started my spiritual path really young. And I didn't stay with that sect of Buddhism. I've studied Hinduism and um, the Kabbalah and, you know, many other things since then. And I started a meditation practice. From Mm. all that, I think, is why I'm in such a wonderful place today with a wonderful life, very calm, serene, long-term marriage, and being of service to others.
1: Lovely. Um, and you really just barely touched on some of the traumas that you experienced. And people mm-hmm. can read that in the book because now you have such a totally different kind of life. Mm-hmm. Why did you write this book? You've written two. Uh, why did you write this one? This one's a little different from your first two. Mm-hmm. I think it's to talk about the spiritual path and where people are
2: today, how much has changed since 2012, to encourage people to know that they're not alone, that we have ancestors and angels and guides, all these beings that we just don't see with our naked eye right next to us, and that they want to help us, they're available, we can talk to them. I think that that's one main reason. Another is that it's great to go on your own spiritual path, that we have that freedom. Fortunately, we're in this country, and we have that freedom yeah. that you can go to any church, temple, what you know that you want, or you can go to none and
1: still have a spiritual path. You, still have. you say in the prologue of your new book, some of us walk a unique, decidedly spiritual path by choice. Some of us create a spiritual life without religion and stand on our own. In my case, I've chosen a path to Christ consciousness or enlightenment. Talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I love it when people read things from my book, and I'm like, wow, I said that? That's You know, I get the same sensation when I read some of the stuff I wrote five or six years ago on the blog. (laughs) I'm thinking, I I don't know that now. How did I know that then? (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool.
2: Um, Well, enlightenment has been my goal for a long time. Christ consciousness is another way to put that, more of a New Age way to put that. But the point being to release all the, the beliefs and the inhibitions and um, the fears and all the stuff from the past or from wherever my consciousness has lived throughout the eons to release all of that so that a true self can come through. And I see true self as, as like a luminous being. And that's what goes on even after I pass from this body. That part always exists. So uh, what I'm talking about there is that is, those are some of the realizations coming along the way. The goal is enlightenment. And the path is pretty fun. It's pretty fascinating. Yes, yes it is. It's calm and peaceful.
1: You know, it's really beautiful. Filled with love. Oh, absolutely. Who's the audience for this new book? Who do you want to have read it? Who can benefit the most from it?
2: People that are interested in mindfulness or meditation. People that are new on the path or a ways on the path. I think someone who is far, far down the path and has their own way. Um, May not enjoy it as much because they're probably really established, but this is full of experiences, ideas, suggestions to um, help a person kind of get that foundation under them, to encourage them that it's okay to not fit in. It's okay to be unique.
1: In fact, it's really a good thing. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be unique. We're supposed to be. On that note, we're going to go to break because when we come back, we're going to talk more about the spiritual path that Lynn is on and some of the things she's doing. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Lynn Cochran Murphy saying stay tuned. We're going to be back with more.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Lynn Cochran Murphy. We're talking about unfolding the mystery of self. If you didn't have the opportunity to hear her story, then get her book because it's quite compelling and you will want to know more about her when when you learn um, some of the circuitous route her path has taken her. Lynn, talk about your statement, there is no aloneness There is only unawareness. I think I put that in because when I was young, I was really lonely.
2: And I know that I'm not the only one that experiences that. You know that you can be around people and feel isolated and and alone? Oh, yeah. Especially when you feel different. Especially if you, yes. Yeah. It's funny. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because... You know, when we're young, we we spend so much time and effort trying to fit in and be popular and so on. And it's a wonderful thing with aging that you really have the opportunity to say, no, it's great being my unique self and being different, and it's okay not to fit in. So that statement about we're not alone is that with... With meditation, for example, you know, sometimes you'll hear someone come and talk to you. You'll feel someone's presence. Uh, For me, that developed to where I can be doing the dishes, and I realize that my grandmother's energy is there visiting me. Or I talk in the book about when people died. Um, Most of my family members have had someone visit them after they died. Usually it's right away, and usually for my sister, I put a... A little story that she wrote in there about how mom came to her and wrapped her arms around her and hugged her, and she felt so assured that she was loved. Um, and that was the day after mom had passed. So, all those experiences went together to where now, you know, when I channel or when I do a reading for someone, you know, I get that information and it flows really easy. And so, um, and also that sometimes I see, I see things um, that tell me, oh, there's someone, you know, your guide is standing behind you and wants to be seen or something like that. I think that that's important on many levels because in the previous book I talked about this world being an illusion and that there's so much more going on, just like when I mentioned being an luminous being that our bodies can't even contain us. We're so amazing. Exactly. And and that's true for everyone. That's not just me. That's true for everyone. That's why it's so fun to
1: go and get your aura photographed somewhere. Oh, I love doing that. Yeah. What do you tell people who say to you, I can't see anybody. I don't see auras. I don't believe there's an afterlife. I don't. There's no proof of any of that. What do you tell them? Those people don't talk to me very much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: But um, I I recently had a student come to me to take my classes who didn't believe, but also at the same time was convinced that through doing learning healing work, he would heal and change, and um, then his body would heal because he was deathly ill. So in working with that person, it was like very gradually breaking down those barriers to where that person then could begin to see, could see things in meditation, could begin to hear, could hear guidance. And that, that person's world is just opening up now. To, it's still at the beginning. And, and often that person would stop and look at me and go, how in the world can that be but he was beginning to get his own guidance and that was a, it's a beautiful thing to watch so i think i think also it's a possible for everyone everyone has intuition it's a matter of tuning into it and wanting it to grow wanting it to open whether you see hear, or just have knowing some people feel it they feel it on their skin any of those ways, just keep going with that and going with it, and trust
1: it. fully it. You, develops. Just, you just trust it. You, know, you got to trust it. Yes. Well, when did when did you know that you were a healer? How did that manifest to you? I th- oh yes, I did put that story
2: in the book also in the new book, Unfolding the Mystery, that um, I had a cat who was really really sick, and I was practicing Buddhism at that time and chanting. So the the Buddhist had told me, well, you know, you can chant for anything that you want, and anything that's aligned with what is best for in the world, then it will come to pass. So I chanted for my cat to get sick. I mean, to get well. Sorry, Um, he had been really sick. He was now at the vet, and the vet was saying, "This, you know, this is serious." So I chanted and chanted and chanted for my cat's health. And within three days, the doctor said, You can take your cat home. I've never seen him get well from this particular illness so fast ever. That's really wonderful. You can take him. So I picked him up and he came home and he lived another. See, I was 21. He probably lived till I was 27.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he lived a long time. What did you take from that? How did you translate that into knowing? That you were a healer and could work with people in different healing modalities? That
2: was just like the first experience that convinced me, okay, this is real, it's possible. After that, I took some classes where I was learning about um, doing body work and healing people. Then, um,
1: Where I did you start? With,
2: what was your first modality? Laying on of the hands like the Pentecostals <laughs> do. Yep. Yeah. I learned how to Touches. do that. Um, you know, born again with the um, the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. So those kinds of experiences, and then i took I took Reiki, uh, a couple of levels of Reiki later on. Um, theta healing, mostly now I use Theta healing, and I do um, excess bars and some trauma release procedures with that. You know. And then there's, there are five chapters in the book about healing. But now there's just the, the touch, just the, the power of a touch for a healer or a non-healer. That's why elderly people really love it when you come and you hold their hand.
1: Yes. Or you
2: give them a hug or something. It's a big deal. Or how babies don't thrive if they're not held and nurtured. Uh, that's under the failure to thrive syndrome that was documented years ago, decades ago. Oh, yeah. Ago. Everybody needs it.
1: Everybody yeah. needs to be touched. Yeah. So
2: whether it's a touch of that nature, and it it gives what it gives, or it's you know a a well trained healing touch, uh,
1: so much is possible. One of the things you said in your book that really struck me as being something everybody can use is that you asked yourself, what is right about me that I'm not getting? Talk a little bit about that question and how it helped you and how it could help anybody who works with it, actually. That's such a good question. I think
2: that people are really hard on themselves. People, um, you know, like in our culture... It's not okay to to say a lot of positive things about yourself even even when they're true. Oh no, that's prideful. Mhm. Mm. So here in Phoenix we have something called Greatness Circle. And I started going to Greatness Circle, which is just a sharing place. It's um there's no cost. I put a link to the webpage in the first book in Living Hope. Uh, and there's probably information on on my website about it. But anyway, it's here in Phoenix. And uh, you meet for an hour or two, and people share a greatness that they've noticed, and other people affirm it, give feedback, but it's not a counseling group. So if I were to affirm I'm a healer, when I put my hands on a person, the area that was um, troubled for them changes, and I'm good at that, and it's a gift, and I'm so... um so I'm glad I have that to share. Then I will get feedback on that. Not a person will say anything about who do you think you are, which is, again, a very common American message. So, yeah, you don't want to be too full of yourself. Yeah. So that statement, what is right about me that I'm not getting, connects with the other statement that's in the book about how we have so much potential we're really amazing and it 's a matter of undoing the negative that we've been taught letting it go and letting ourselves be that brilliant being that we are
1: you know if people just e- even think about how amazing their physical body is much okay. less you know how beautiful their spirit is it's overwhelming the other day I had an echocardiogram and I got to watch on the monitor all the, you know, the the parts of my heart and how they work, <laughs> and talk about a meditation. It, it just blew me away how amazing we're put together. You know, just, yeah, we can it, see inside the body now, too. What an amazing thing that is. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things you say, or it's a question that you ask in the book, and I think it's such a good question. It's right in the beginning of the book. You say, how could I aspire to live a life like Jesus, Buddha, or more recent greats like Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, or Yogananda, I see myself as much more ordinary, as a much more ordinary American female teacher, an average citizen. What does the path to enlightenment look like for people like me? You know, I, it's such a wonderful question. Mm-hmm. Is enlightenment possible when you don't live a monastic life? Can the ordinary Jane or Joe? Become enlightened. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I talked about um, someone I studied.
2: I talked about it in the book because he says there's two paths to enlightenment. One is the one as, as a monk um, in a life that is led by your guru, but the other is living in the world. And being, they talk about it in terms of men, you know, being a householder and having a job and taking care of your family. Um, And yet, that is, I think, the model that's becoming very popular now. The monasteries, whichever religion you're talking about, they're just for a particular type of person. And that's why I talk so much about our unique spiritual path that we can do it without the monastery.
1: So It's a yeah, much more path difficult to, path. It's a much I'm, more difficult path.
2: Yeah, yeah, because you're on your own, and you, you have to pay attention so that you don't get off track and waste years, you know, with a phony or, or whatever. Um, and then you have to get your guidance from your higher self, from uh, your instincts, yeah, you're really on your own, and and yet I thrive that way. I go to churches on occasions, like I'll be guided to be at a church, and it's often to hear a message, like, oh gosh, that's something I had not contemplated, and it really is important. Or it's to meet a person. That's happened to me, too.
1: Wonderful. You make this statement, too, which I think is so lovely. I want you to talk about it. Mostly I live in a mystical, connected state. What's that like? Whew! That means
2: that at <laughs> any time I can sit back and get into that quiet place, and I can, I can ask Jesus to come and be with me and let me feel his loving presence. I can ask um, Babaji to come and be with me and give me guidance. Often it comes in the form of angels coming. Sometimes it's in the form of family. So that place is always, that's always a possibility for me. That's, that makes me feel loved and warm and, and hugged at the moment. Um, then when you look at, look at synchronicity, yeah, you know, that was a book that um, Dan Millman did. Was it Dan Millman? No, it wasn't. No, it was I James can't remember Redfield. who. It was James Redfield, The Ninth Insight. And, and he talks a lot about synchronicity and how important it is to notice it. So that's another mystical thing that, um, you know, like, I think I'll, I, I want to check out that church over here in the neighborhood. And I... I've been wanting to start, it's really getting my attention. Why is that? Well, okay, fine. I'll just go this Sunday. And then you go and there's someone who's, um, you've been intending to call and there they are standing right there. So that, that kind of mystical energy, whether it's in the unseen world around us or it's in what we used to call coincidence, and we don't call it that anymore.
1: No, there really aren't any of those. (laughs) It seems like it sometimes, but um, actually.
2: I think it's also the, um, you know, knowing that the world, the physical world is illusion. And that at times you get
1: glimpses of life beyond that. And I think that's part of what is mystical too. Now, how how do beings get your attention? How do you know that you're getting a message? Do you see? Do you hear? Do you feel it? Are all of the above, you know, is it different for different ones that come through? Tell us a little bit about that. uh, Generally,
2: I'll feel and sense, and then I'll hear or see. So, I tell in the book about Archangel Raziel, coming to visit me. I didn't know there was an Archangel Raziel. I I did not either. (laughs) I was meditating, and I feel this presence, and I'm like, who is that? And the answer is Raziel, and I'm like, who are you? Because, you know, I don't talk to just anyone who shows up. And um, I see his wings. So on the shelf behind me is Doreen Virtue's book on Archangels and Master's. And I look in there, and there's his name, and it tells me about him. And I had been praying to increase my clairvoyance or something like that. And then I'm reading the list of things that he specializes in, and that was one. I'm like, oh, no wonder he
1: showed up. How fabulous that was! So, um, so yeah, do you do you hear things aspect. that clearly? My name is Raziel. Do you hear it I that heard, clearly? I heard
2: the word Raziel very clearly. I don't know if you said my name is. Yeah. I heard Raziel very clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you must know, get ex- Other times, there's just that sense of knowing. Oh, there is someone here. I can feel it. I can, I'm sensing it. And then there's the knowing... Um, you know how when you're considering something and you'll think, well, you know, I could do something wild and crazy like this, and there's that knowing of, no, you can't.
1: No, then, no, yeah.
2: Yeah. Or, well, maybe I could explore going to school here, and there's a, yeah, that's an option. Well, what if I went to Boulder, Colorado? Wow, that feels right. And you hear a, that would be a good direction for you in your head.
1: You know, Yeah, or sometimes when you th- you think this is the way you're going to go and absolutely everything then starts happening to prevent it you think what you know who's telling me this what's what's going on here and it's almost like when they get your attention then you know you, you know which du- direction you're supposed to go
2: i think that we get a lot of signs and it's important not to dismiss the signs and signs of of a mystical life i mean what you said earlier reminds me of that, that we, we see things out of the corner of our eyes, and we dismiss it. Because we were taught that that wasn't real. But the truth is, you see things out of your corner of your eye, it usually is real. But if you turn around and you look with your eyes wide open, you may not see it again. You don't see it. It's in a different dimension.
1: Yeah, it's not on this plane. And on that note, talking about things not on this plane, we're going to go on this plane and go to break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Lynn Cochran Murphy saying we're going to be back with more. You don't want to miss it, so stay tuned for more.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment.
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Lynn Cochran Murphy, who's written an Amazon bestseller, Unfolding the Mystery of Self. I encourage you to get that book. It is so lovely, and I want to thank Lynn for being so open, so honest. I mean, she really puts her soul right out there for you to see. Uh, Lynn, one of the things we haven't done is talk about what you're doing here in Phoenix that people could uh, maybe become a part of and how they reach you. So tell us what's going on with you these days and how people can find you and then we'll continue. Okay. Currently I'm teaching a workshop. It's a four-week,
2: um, two hours a week set, um, sessions on unfolding the mystery of self. And it's very experiential. It's We discuss some of the quotes from the book. We talk about their experiences. I talk about my experiences and we do a whole list of meditations. We do two or three meditations each time we meet. Um, It's wonderful to see the effect it has on people they leave here so happy and so mellow. So that is currently going on and I'm preparing that to go up online. So that will be at the top of my webpage in just a few weeks. I'm, I'm creating the videos and all the parts that are going to go together so that people who don't live in the Phoenix metro area can access that online that parts of oh, it fantastic. Free so they can experience it without having to purchase and then there'll be other parts that they can purchase So that's unfolding the mystery of self. I teach classes here in Phoenix and theta healing access bars this unfolding the mystery of self. I also travel to uh, Redondo Beach and to Rochester Minnesota to teach the theta healing classes. Let's see. What, oh, and I see people one-on-one in my office to do whether they want healing work or spiritual guidance or reading,
1: channeling. Um, what about I, by Skype? Do you have? Oh, uh, yes. do you work with people yes. by Skype? So how do, do people, people find you? If I, if I lived in Timbuktu and I wanted to find you and work with you, how would I find you? My webpage is Lynn.
2: Cockrum Murphy, Lynn L y n n e Cockrum C o c k r u m Murphy m u r p h y dot com, and on that website they'll find everything. Oh, in fact, if you sign up for my newsletter, you can get um, a free chapter from each of the books, and there are free meditations on there and other other
1: goodies. So that might and it's worth it. So contact Lynn and, you know, see what she's doing. One of the things I'd like to talk about before we finish this today is spiritual practice. Tell us a little bit about your spiritual practice, how it's evolved, if you feel like sharing that, uh, and how important spiritual practice is. For me, spiritual practice is, is the foundation
2: of my life. I'm one of those people that if I don't have spiritual engagement, connection with with my God self, and um, something along those lines, I get really unhappy. So that has been the foundation for me since I took my first meditation class probably in my teens or became a Buddhist in my teens also. So that is a way of life for me. It usually involves A morning meditation of 20 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on what's going on. Um, Then being guided throughout the day if I need to sit down again. Because of mindfulness practices nowadays, I don't have to sit formally as much as I used to, although I still love it. Because mindfulness practices is where you're taking that state of being out into the daily world with you. So whether you're in the car or the doctor's office or the grocery store, you can check into that quiet place and be, and it's really a nice state in that other things really don't bother you. They don't matter at that place. So my spiritual practice has, has been very formal at times. I've taken a lot of classes, trained with a lot of people, and now it's a little more relaxed because I have the mindfulness
1: component also. That brings me to a tiny little story I'll share. Take the dog to the dog park every day, and today there was a new dog I hadn't seen before, beautiful black, I don't know what, and her name was Buddha. His name was Buddha, and mm-hmm. he was just jumping all around, and I said, it looks to me like he needs to do a meditation, and his owner said, well, he doesn't meditate well, but he is mindful. <laughs> he is in the <laughs> how moment. cute is that? that yeah, how something. cute is that? What do you mean by being in the moment, being mindful? <laughs> it's a stepping
2: back for me and and not paying attention to thoughts, but sensing the energy of who I am under the thoughts or behind the thoughts. Deepak Chopra described it as being the observer in that space between the thoughts. Yes. That's one of the first ways that I, I started sensing it was after he he said that in a class. Um, So, yeah, it's a a stepping back and disconnecting from a thought, because we're not our thoughts. Those are things that just,
1: that's just our mind. We're so much more than that. Oh, absolutely. You refer, in your book, you talk about emptiness, you talk about stillness, you talk about inner peace. Oh, and so the question is, how do we get there? The, you know, things are so busy, life is in such a rush. How do we find that place? For me,
2: it took practice. I think that it's faster now. Past we're well, past twenty twelve. The world, the energy of the world, is a little different than it was. People's intuition develops faster. Their ability to find that quiet place within develops faster. So I would say start a spiritual practice now. There are med- guided meditations on my um, website, DylanCocker Murphy.com site, but there's a gazillion of them out there. Start with the guided ones because that's easier. And then let that build to where even if you don't have a guided one, you can still get into that quiet place within. And then eventually, you can do that in the world. You can also take mindfulness classes.
1: Yes. You know, and, and you, you know, it, it takes a lot of a lot of concentration sometimes to stay there. Um, it's it, for me, it's a real challenge you know, to to stay there. <laughs> Driving is a nice place, and then you forget where you're going to turn, but. Anyway, do, do you think everybody needs a spiritual teacher or a guru? And if so, where do they find one?
2: I think spiritual teachers are really valuable along the way, but that you don't have to have one. It's an old teaching that you have to have a guru and you're with the same guru forever, whether they're dead or alive. Um, that I, I, That's the old way. Currently... You can find, you know, Doreen Virtues out there. Follow her guidance. Deepak Chopra, my website, the work that I do. There are so many people now. It's wonderful.
1: So many choices. Yeah. If you, you, if you can get helpful. on the Internet, you can find pretty much you anything you want. And if you can't find a, a meditation, then go to YouTube because there are really some wonderful ones there. Yes. Be careful what you find. Um, there's some beautiful meditation music that you can do your own meditation to with just some amazing music Uh, or if you do better with your eyes open looking at something beautiful you can do that too Uh, so many things are available to us now that haven't been available to us before you make another wonderful little statement that just makes my heart sing you talk about life as a playground Talk a little bit about life as a playground. I get the image of us as little kids having just such a wonderful time out there.
2: That was a delight when that changed for me a couple of years ago, because life was really survival for me the first 25 years. Yeah. And then for a long time, it was hard work uh, trying to undo the damage of the past and it got better and better and better, but then a couple of years ago, I'm like, "Holy cow, this is just fun!" And then it dawned me, "Oh, it's not dawned on me that oh, it isn't always a schoolhouse. How fun is that?" So, yeah, I think when you're not having to work hard at life, that it's delightful, especially when you're, a lot of your karma's out of the way.
1: Well, yeah, that's another whole thing. We could do a whole show on that. How do you know when your karma's out of the way? took me a long time to accept
2: it, but I saw that um I wasn't creating any more drama. Um, I wasn't connecting with people that were dramatic. And that all of it was calming down to where I was only attracting people that either wanted to learn from me or wanted to be with me as an equal, uh, those kinds of things. And um, so I, I asked around about that, like, is this possible? And found out that it's possible. And more and more people
1: are in that place. Or at so least uh, is- the ascended master types are. So is this what led you to say, most of the time I live more in the joy of being me? I love that statement. I live in the joy of being me. That's really
2: true. It's so fun. Now, that's easier when I'm not um, shopping at the dollar store. You know, I mean, there are places <laughs> where the energy is really different. And, yes. and th- then I'm like having to focus on, on being me, but the rest of the time, the moments like this, that this is joyful, this is fun, it's a playground, that wells up, and I think it's because of the years of spiritual practice and all the clearing work that I've done, that that's probably what our true self is like: is a joyous, bubbly
1: happiness. Yep. Yep. What's next, Lynn? You got another book coming? Oh, that's a Another good book on the horizon? Hmm? Yeah, I do. I have my first two pieces of fiction. Um, one,
2: the first draft is done. The other is getting is started. And they are um, about two amazing men way back in time who go on an adventure together. And how the one is one of those real centered kind of people that you want to be around. And the other one
1: learns from him. And what he learns. Sounds like fun. We're right up to the end of the show. I hate to say that because this has been so delightful. Um, But nevertheless, that's where we are. What's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today, Lynn? Uh, Know that you are so much more
2: than your body Mm -hmm. than what you see in the mirror. You are a luminous being of light brilliant and precious and
1: loved. What a lovely way to end the show. Um, We're going to have to have you back when you have, we don't even have to wait until the next book comes out. (laughs) Uh, And and after all, we are in the same town, although we are, I will have to say, quite a distance apart. Um, And I rarely, rarely go into Phoenix because where I am it's so incredibly beautiful, and I hate to leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those a big valley.
2: There are millions well, it's, of people here.
1: It it is a big valley, and a lot is going on all over it. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's an invitation to anybody who thinks Arizona is not okay. It's an amazingly beautiful state. Mm-hmm. At any rate, Lynn, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been just mm-hmm. so nice having you back. And thank you,
2: Irene. You are a special person, and you make a conversation peaceful and fun and positive. Thank you.
1: That's what we want to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and so I'd like to say with you to our audience, to our listeners, thank you for being with us today. And I encourage you to come back next week for more of the self-improvement show.
0: Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.